In the early 90s, this Chicago-born musician was selling luggage on street corners, driving a cab, and was even a cook. Yeah. If, if somebody had told you you would be in this position back in 1992, what would you have said? Uh, no. <laughs> so, I would have said it's as unlikely as can be. Now fast forward to 2015, and he's a multi-millionaire, all because of his vision for craft beer. The future is wide open, and, and but the future is widest open if you if you can find a blank spot on the map within which to work, and that means that means finding your own voice. And howdy, everybody! This is my podcast, Mike Stuffer Reports. I had a chance to talk with Tony McGee. A lot of people may not know him unless you're a student of craft beer then you probably know this is a guy who likes to make beer his way. Now, Tony's early years were flawlessly misspent. Those are his words. He graduated high school near the bottom of his class, went to college, he studied product design, then studied music, and then he dropped out. Then he traveled the Midwest playing music and just doing odd jobs to make a living. Along the way, he discovered he liked to make beer, craft beer. It's been a long journey. He talks about it in his book called, So You Want to Start a Brewery? Well, in 2015, he sold his brewery to Heineken. He made a bunch of money, but he's still in charge and making his beer his way. Now, Tony was in Elkville, Illinois. He was visiting the Route 51 Brewing Company. Now, it's one of several microbrewers starting up in the area. And he was telling stories and giving advice about making beer. Now, here's my interview with Tony McGee, the founder of Lagunita Brewing Company. A lot of these some of the bigger beer companies in order to get into the craft business are going to guys like you and others. Right. Is that is that is that unusual? Is this a trend or why do you think that is all of a sudden now? Um, I think it's part of the maturation of, of craft brewing. I think, uh, but the bigger brewers will make these investments for all sorts of very different reasons. Uh, it's not all the same thinking or strategy that drives it. You know, I think uh, some of the brewers are doing it. Uh, the biggest brewer in the world, I think, is doing it here in the United States in order to control their distributors and to try to influence retailers uh, so that they can push them back to sell the products they would prefer they sell, uh, meaning their own. Um, but uh, in the case of uh, uh, some of them, and our partner in particular, Heineken, it's about trying to expand and grow the opportunities that are available to Lagunitas. It's a, so there's different reasons why things happen, you know. Well, Heineken just, you know, they, uh, they recognize uh, that the world of, of beer is changing, and that craft brewing has uh, has brought changes to it that they uh, that they need to understand, and uh, and they wanted to, uh, us to bring you know, that understanding into the into the Heineken organization. I often feel like uh, my actual job is to take over Heineken, <laughs> um, not not physically, but but through good acts right. and, and through leadership. So the first the first part of the deal came through, I guess, in 2016. Yes. Where they they it was yeah. kind of a half 2015 2015 yeah. yep. okay yep. so how did that I mean was give me an idea of how long of how long of courtship was this between you and Heineken did, yeah. did this just come out of the blue or had they been contacting you earlier or? no we, we began the conversation with uh, with them and and uh, two other uh, unrelated parties uh, early early in the year and uh, we spent the probably the better part of maybe eight months talking before we developed an understanding and, yeah. and moreover that I understood that, that they uh, that they recognized the unique value in, in Lagunitas in craft brewing in general right. and, and that they wanted to feed it and not simply um, con consume it you know and not, not simply make an acquisition but but bring resources to us to allow us to go further and faster than we would have otherwise and more though in the United States not so much 
as the rest of the world. Yeah. So did that's you really go, the focus. Did you go to them or did they come to you? We, we, we called them. Okay. Yeah, we called them. There are there's only a couple people, uh, a couple organizations in the world that we wanted to work with. You know. Yeah. And Heineken is uh, still family controlled. Right. Uh, the woman named Charlene Heineken, she and her husband Michelle de Cavallo control 51 percent of the company. Right. And uh, so how's that work? Do you call up Charlene and say, Hey, I've got uh, I've got a a, a craft brew company. You want to buy? No, no, no. <laughs> the, yeah, the, the introductions have to. These are arranged marriages. Right. You know? right. Um, and so so we worked with our bank with Wells Fargo, and right. uh, and they made uh, uh, they made the initial overture to. Uh, the, the Global Development Group at, at Heineken, and uh, which is their that does their, their merger and acquisition work, and yeah. we spent, like I said, it's, uh, spent uh, seven or eight months kind of getting to know each other and yeah. sort of lifting the kimono so we they could understand who we were and, and vice versa. So help me understand. Obviously, they're just not buying your beer; they're buying your your distribution channel, right? Is that is that kind of how it works within in the craft beer, or what? What well, are they buying? What yeah. are they getting? Well, what, 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 to, what are they getting to deal with you? Well, you know, uh, that that's a that's a that's a poignant question because what is it that they bought? In reality, what they bought with Lagunitas is they bought the stock. They bought the the, the equity within Lagunitas, okay. and uh, but what came along with that are all of the people, all of the recipes, all of the you know the, the distribution relationships. Um, our distributors are independent companies all around the country um, who sell our beer and they sell the beer of others as well. Right. Um, so they bought those relationships. Uh, and, uh, uh, but the, 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 the important thing is, is that the Lagunitas culture you know, came with it intact and it's us. And we are continuing to be Lagunitas within the United States. Yeah. Around the world though, Heineken is, is beginning to uh, distribute our beer. I think we are in 23 countries now, and we'll add another 17 next well, year. Have you just been strictly domestic, or have you had have you been overseas as well? What is your our, our business is still you know largely the West Coast, uh, okay. but we were in uh, we were in uh, five countries already, but very thin. The way beer is uh, distributed around the world is very different than it is in the United States. Crafts could only have been born in the United States. In other parts of the world, uh, beer distribution is much more tightly controlled and it's difficult to penetrate mm. the, the markets. So this is where a partner like a Heineken... So Heineken allows you to really kind of... That's right. Yeah. Through, through their networks, we're able to get to retailers and yeah. meet beer lovers there. So the number's around a billion dollars? For what? For, for, for the deal with you? Uh, you know, <laughs> these numbers are not disclosed. Uh, sources closer to the matter. Uh, so but, as I'm but, as I'm hearing this, it should have been more. Or well, you think it's a fair deal? Oh, and then, well, it it wasn't. I should say quite. I mean, it wasn't a billion dollars. Uh, okay. But uh, but but they've made a big investment right. in Lagunitas, yeah. um, recognizing great value in yeah. Lagunitas, and and, uh, and 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 so much as that's the case, uh, uh, we're real. You know, we're real happy with it. My shareholders were yeah. thrilled and. Um, but the fact that they they were they recognized that value meant that they needed us to continue to be the ones to deliver that value. Now you talked about you know not only did they get the beer but they also got the culture. Talk about the culture, and I know that's always a sensitive thing with yeah. with craft beers that you still I mean you've got a certain culture that right. that you you don't want to get too big and you've got a big beer company that comes in. Right. Are you afraid it's going to become too big, or you will you be able to kind of keep that culture that you had you had fermented, if you will? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, the idea of a thing being perfect in one state or another is, is it's an illusion. You know, uh, uh, things change. You know, Lagunitas is a different company in 2010 than it was in the year 2000. The culture morphs over time and becomes, uh, be, it, 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 as people mature and become themselves, and teenagers are very different than the same person when they're 30 years old. And, and so, so it is that Lagunitas continues to change. Now, uh, what's terribly important is that, that, uh, that 
culture, the portion of the culture that we would never want to change is our relationship to beer lovers. So that if the, if the, if the business simply became about pursuing profit, pursuing volume, then that would be lost. Uh, to the extent that we're allowed to continue to mine and develop and meet more beer lovers in more parts of the world, mission accomplished. And, and if, when we do those things and we do them correctly, yes, profits and growth flow from that. You're talking about the taste and, and making sure that, the, that your consumers still enjoy you. You're going to have to scale up to some, oh, yeah. some degree. Are, are you prepared for that scale up and, and to still maintain the yeah. same flavor with your beers? I mean, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, for from 2000 through 2015, we were growing at 40 percent a year for 15 years on end on end. I mean, it's an incredible run, and and the, the challenge was always to keep the beer flavor right in the center of the lane and to, and to, to have the culture follow along even as the company grew scale. And so. Um, this is almost a core uh, competency for us, yeah. you know, and, and we've been good at it. So, so I skimmed through the... But it is the work. Yeah. It's hard to do. So I skimmed through your early story. So yeah. if, if somebody had told you you would be in this position back in 1992, what would you have said? Um, no. <laughs> it's un I would have said it's as unlikely as can be. The, 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 you know, as, as you move through time and space, uh, opportunities appear, and if you're able to recognize them, then you seize them, and then it's, it looks... When you look back on it, you wonder if there's a plan, but the truth was it was simply trying to be in the moment, in the here and now, and recognize when opportunities are rich and when opportunities are, are poor. Were there opportunities that you missed along the way that you think, or it, it, did everything kind of play out by plan, or that just, you know, you just don't look back? At that you, you know, it, it, if when I look back on the company's trajectory, it, it seems like that we have been inordinately lucky. And, uh, but then again, you know, you recognize that you make your own luck and luck favors the prepared mind, right? So, in so much as that's the case, uh, I, I'm not sure that we missed anything that really mattered, you know, and that we were always able to address things that mattered. And I don't just mean in business, I mean in terms of the culture, the projection of the culture of the company, the types of beers we want to make, the way we wanted to tell our stories. We did those things right, yeah. and good things flowed from that. So, so, so it made us look really smart. But the yeah. truth is we were trying to simply do one thing well. Yeah, what advice do you give? There's, we've got quite a few microbrewers yeah. in this area. What kind of advice do you give to them? I guess don't give up anytime soon. Is that good? Yeah, don't give up. Yeah. Don't look back. Move forward. Yeah. Listen to your listen to your customers. Get to know them personally and and hear what hear their hear uh, hear what they're saying to you because you know you can do res consumer research, but consumers will never tell you what they're dreaming about. You know, they'll, and if, if, if Henry Ford's famous for having, as he said, if I asked my customers what they wanted, they'd have told me faster horses. You know, and so the thing is you have to figure out you know, what is the thing that they're dreaming of and try to put it in front of them and inspire them. Uh, the, the, it, was, it was great to be asked to be here, you know, uh, I mean, it was expensive for me to get here and stuff and there's no, no one paying me to be here, but right. it's just, it's so nice to kind of So why did you to want it. to be here? So why, why, is, why is something like this important? It's just gratifying to come talk to people who are standing at the edge of, of what it is that you know, I was standing at the edge of, you know, 25 years ago. And, and be able to sort of, in a way, like give myself advice from the future. You know, I mean, I can, I, because these are things, these are the mountains that they're going to climb are ones that we've climbed successfully half a dozen times, and, and I know the way up, and, and, and it's, it's just gratifying to be able to share that. What, you know? Has the industry changed? You know, you talk about giving advice, you know, you know, the, the same challenges you had in the mid 90s to kind of grow your product. Is it the same challenges that 
that uh, microbreweries face now, or is it is the playing field a little bit different? Or the the, the playing field is different, but the, the in the abstract, the challenges are exactly the same. When we started, there were two thousand breweries in the whole United States, and most of them were tiny. Now there's five thousand going on six thousand, and um, uh, so. But but in our world, there weren't a lot of people who craved craft beer. We were still bringing consumers to the idea of it. And, and so there weren't as many retailers that wanted to have it. Grocery stores were like, why do I need this little stuff? I, I have big brands, I like that. So, but now the, the little, these little guys, there's so many brands that they feel they feel uh, pressure. Well, the pr it's pressure one way or the other. The hard thing is is rising above the, the, those pressures. And, and, so and even and though finding, there's, there's perhaps more competition, you're saying that there's there's an increased demand. I mean, they, right? Yeah. Okay. yeah, we had a lack of demand. They have too much competition. But it's the same thing. Somehow you have to be heard above the crowd. Right. So you know, brewery here in in, in Elkville. How how far does their market go? Or there's no limit. Well, there's you know there is no limit. Uh, you know, I mean, we I think 40 percent of our business is still in California, right? Uh, but we're, you know we're selling beer in Cape Town. And by next summer, we'll be selling beer in Ho Chi Minh City and, and San Paulo. Oh wow! So uh, there, there is no limit, uh, but but your home market is the most important thing because that's the font from which everything that you are and will be flows. Is is the home market a good good way to kind of test to see if you see which which product is is doing well? Is that a good good way to kind of? Well, those are the people you're going to know the best, right? right? And so you can they'll talk to you yeah. most honestly, and they'll reflect back to the to the. the, the, the success or the failure in the, your offerings. So yeah, you got to know your home market. It's important to be in touch. But you don't have to be the exclusive brewery in your home market, you know. The more breweries that there are in your home market, the better the, the, better the competitive environment, you know, the, the, the better the ideas that will come from it. It's like, you know, it's like being on the, the West Bank of Paris when all the poets and impressionists were writing, you know. It's like they're all putting pressure on each other to be better than they would have been on their own. This is a great time. So what kind of advice did you did you give the folks here? I, I, I'm sure they bent your ear to there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I just told them, I told, told them to, to, you know, that uh, the future is wide open, and and but the future is widest open if you if you can find a blank spot on the map within which to work, and that means that means finding your own voice. It means finding a way to communicate your values through your brand, through your people, through the, the flavors in the beer, um, and that's that's the, that's the most important thing you can possibly do. And then competition falls away. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Mike Snuffer Reports podcast. I look forward to sharing more of my unique interviews and stories in the future.